2: One thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. One fly ball deep left center, him on the run. Yes! 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 The Atlanta Braves yes! have given you a championship. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes
1: sir. You know i got to get paid. To right Center and the Braves have won it. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive, come right. Welcome to the sun. 25
0: lighters on my 25 folks. Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Welcome, welcome everybody to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Very excited. We've got our first repeat guest and who else will we bring in but Jim Callis jim thanks for stopping back in buddy it was such a good time the first time we figure we'd bring you back again i know,
2: glad to be here glad to be here. i think somebody's ringing my doorbell we have other people at home here but if you hear golden retrievers barking in the background
0: it's because somebody's ringing our doorbell it is perfectly all right we like the animals to get involved in the show mine will at some point start barking as well
2: yep uh, hopefully hopefully they'll behave on this end
0: well we've got kind of a uh we've got a time frame on this one, so I think we've we've done the pleasantries before I think we're good enough to just jump right into this uh we had sure. Carlo yeah, we had- <laughs> been kind of i'
2: I'm still in the the draft is over but we're in signing season and it's still crazy
0: so uh fire away well we had Carlos Colazo on last week a colleague of yours who did a phenomenal job covering the draft uh you have a different perspective really you got you get a little bit more into the whole prospect ranking system so i think the first question is a, a really a no brainer where do these guys slot in your carter stewards your grace and janistas where do they slot in in terms of the the prospects already in the Braves pool
2: yeah it's interesting cuz you know we, we, our list is kind of our current list is from the preseason, so it will change a little bit in July before the trade deadline when we update it. And, and John Mayo does the list, so I won't know exactly how he's going to update it. But, but just looking at this, I think right now we've got eight Braves on the top 100 and, and uh, Kristen Pache kind of knocking on the door. Um, but, but taking from top, I mean, Carter Stewart, Um, yeah, he'll be an interesting one because... Uh, you know, you, like I, I mean, Acuna will graduate by then. But you know, Kyle Wright, and Mike Soroka would be ahead of Carter Stewart for me. Um, I think you could debate Luis Gohara, but Luis Gohara, you know, gotten to the big leagues and his he, left hand. So I probably, be you know, I mean, conservative. If you were conservative with Carter Stewart, I think you put him behind Gohara, Anderson, Allard. Um, you could argue Austin Riley will probably move up our list a little bit too. In terms of pure stuff, I mean, you could probably argue Carter Stewart is as high as, as maybe number three or four on the Braves list, which I don't think will be that aggressive right off the bat with because with, he's fresh out of high school and it's such a good system. But when you're talking about a guy who has, like, a really unique spin rate, high spin rate on his curveball, and could hit 98 miles an hour, so it's pretty exciting. But, but my guess is we'll probably make him go out and prove it a little bit more in an organization as deep as Atlanta's. Grayson Janista was a guy who came into the year with first-round aspirations, and the Braves got him in the second round. Um, You know, he probably fits somewhere, you know, I would say maybe like the, well, we'll shuffle this around, but just looking at our current list. I mean, I could see him kind of in that, that 14 to 18 range, and again, all these are kind of tempered. Because the Braves system's so good, you know, Tristan Beck, I thought had a shot to go in the first round. He missed all last year with with the back issue. I mean, I think he probably fits in that fourteen to eighteen range. Trey Riley, who who in my mind was the best junior college prospect, uh, he's probably in that like seventeen to twenty five range. And it's tough. Like you I mean, if, if other organizations, you might have more guys on on here. I don't know if he'll make our Braves top 30 because, again, I don't do it and I haven't plotted it out, but I really like Andrew Moritz. There's a six-round pick, and I think he could make the top 30 toward the end of the top 30. He could just really hit. He he won the Southern League batting title three years in a row, and I think he hit four – 28 or something this season I mean he that guy can just hit and he can run a little bit and play some center field so I like him as a sleeper although he probably doesn't quite make the Braves top 30 at midseason. would be my guess just because of the depth
1: uh, Moritz is really interesting he kind of reminds me of Todd Cunningham a little bit uh with a within a more advanced hit tool um but as it pertains to Janista you had tweeted out today that he signed for 1.2 million dollars which is about 250 grand under slot, uh, which was kind of surprising to me. Like you said, he had first round aspirations, uh, MVP of the Cape last year. So he's obviously got a bit of a track record hitting with a wood bat. So uh, I com- I thought that he would command right at slot value, maybe, maybe even a little bit higher. But when you start looking at guys like Stewart and Beck, uh, do you think that they might wind up going right at slot, maybe a little bit over? What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's the first round, like, nobody's gone over slot even in the first round yet. And so, like, I think teams are, like, trying to tighten their range a little bit. Um, there haven't been a lot of over slot uh, can't speak. <laughs> Over-slot signings is what I'm trying to say for college guys. Um, you yeah, know, I don't know Carter Stewart because, I mean, he went eighth. I really like Carter Stewart, as you could tell by what I said about him earlier, but that was probably as high as he was going to go, so I think the Braves probably had a little leverage there. My guess is just looking at the way the first round is going, and I'm just totally guessing here, I don't know, is that I would be surprised if he was over slot. I don't think anybody in the first 16 picks is going to go over slot. Um, I wonder if Beck's the guy who gets paid. Um, you know, Trey Riley was a little over slot. Moritz was a little under. Um, they went. Kind of heavy with uh, some seniors in round seven and ten. I I don't think, you know, Shedder in the ninth round or Graffney in the eighth round is going to break the bank either. Um, You know, they'll they'll go five percent over. I think they've they've been pretty consistent about doing that. But my guess is Beck gets paid. And again, I'm just making up a number here. I don't have any knowledge and I haven't crunched the numbers to see if this works out. But I wouldn't be surprised if Beck got, you know, some, you know, close to or or, or seven figures.
0: What's your knee jerk reaction to this draft as a whole for the Braves? How, How do you think they did?
2: Well, um, I thought they did fine. I mean, I, I liked – I mean, it's tough not having a third-round pick, but, I mean, look, Carter Stewart, I think, was a good value at eight. You know, the high school pitchers always last a little longer than they should, and he's exciting. You know, Janista, I liked him more before the year than I do now, but I thought they got him right about where he belonged in the draft. I mean, he's a chance to hit for power and average, and he moves pretty well for a guy who's 6'4", 220. And then, I mean, you guys probably saw my article – I mean, well, I ranked the day three drafts, and, and it shocked me because the Braves didn't have a third-round pick. And I, when I was crunching all the numbers and looking at it, I, I liked the Braves' se- uh, second-day draft, uh, you know, round three through ten, Berenary everybody's, even though they didn't have a third-rounder because I thought, you know, the guys we talked about, I mean, Beck, I thought was a borderline first-rounder. I thought Trey Riley was a second-rounder. Um, and he cost 70, you know, 70, like, I guess, 8 thousand one hundred dollars over slot. And I thought Moritz was was the kind of underrated one of the better pure hitters in the draft. So I, I thought they did they did really really well. And graffinio has got a good glove too. It's I wouldn't sleep on him either.
0: What about uh one of Doc's favorite uh late late picks, Victor Vodnik?
2: You know Vodnik I don't know a ton about because John Tomeo does California and he didn't really factor into like the top fifty or hundred picks. But that said um, he does kind of intrigue me because I know when I was looking at like a spin rate and velocity data uh, on some of the high school pitchers in my half of the country, Victor Vodnik's name kept popping up, like based on how he did at the Worldwood Bat Junior Championships in Jupiter last fall. Like, I think he, he touched 95, 96. Um, and so I mean, he, he's a smaller guy, but he throws really hard. Um, and I think he throws a pretty hard slider, too. So. You know, I I think, you know, I don't know what happened with his signability because, again, I didn't bear down on him because I don't have California. But it seemed to me like that's the type of guy who could have gone, like, in the fifth round or so. Um, And for whatever reason, he lasted until the the 14th round.
1: I'm also curious about Brooks Wilson out of Stetson. He was kind of in that senior sign range, but he seems to – a lot of the time they're just kind of cost-saving picks who turn into organizational guys. But he seems like he might actually be – kind of a guy. You can still probably take a little bit of a haircut on the uh on the deal with him, but he he put up some pretty good numbers at Stetson.
2: Yeah, and it's like is he it gets a look is he a straight senior or is he like a redshirt junior? Do we know? I don't know if pop my head. I think he's a straight senior. Um, I think he
1: is too. Yeah.
2: Um, so anyway, I mean, they, they will get a nice discount there, but you're right. I mean, I, I do think he's got a pretty good arm. Again, I didn't I didn't bear down on him. I mean, he wasn't in our top 200. I don't do Florida, so I wasn't asking guys about senior signs in Florida. Um, so I don't know a ton about him. I, I just know he had a real nice year statistically, and he was a two-way guy. And those guys typically perform better once they focus on one thing in pro ball. But I'm actually uh, I I don't <laughs> I'm sorry I don't have a great Brooks Wilson scouting report for you just because I as a senior who is not in my half of the country I did not bear
1: down on him.
0: Just getting back to Carter Stewart for a minute, how do you guys? And this is more just for for to satiate my own curiosity. How is it when you're when you're talking about looking at a guy who's 18 years old, how do you go about assigning him 270 grades on his pitches? The curveball I get because of the spin rate and just from watching it it's it's absolutely filthy, but is it it's got to be harder to assign such a high grade to somebody who's going up against other 17 and 18 year olds, the vast majority of which will not be playing high end college baseball.
2: Yeah, no you you're right and I mean, the thing is you're not Basing it based on how effective they are against the competition he's facing. I mean, I mean, granted, I mean, if guys were squaring him up, then you wouldn't put a seventy on him. But you're you're basing that on the quality of the pitch. Like, like, you know, he, he's got a higher spin rate. You know, it's a mid eighties, you know, hammer, and it's got higher spin rates. Like, I think Garrett Richards has the highest average spin rate in the big leagues, and Carter Stewart throws curveballs with higher spin rates than Garrett Richards. Uh, you know, so that's that, that's why I put the seventy on there. And then, you know, fastball wise. I mean, you kind of look at velocity and life and, and command. I mean, he's up to 98 miles an hour, and he touches 96, 97 pretty consistently. So, um, you know, I think it's actually easier sometimes on the pitchers to put grades on them. And I will be the first to acknowledge those aren't the most precise grades in the world because you're projecting stuff for the future. But I think it's actually easier to grade the pitchers than it is the hitters because, like, putting a hit grade on a guy or a power grade on a guy, like, that, I think that's a lot tougher sometimes.
0: Do you have any sort of – I know you don't really like doing the comp game, but if if, <laughs> if somebody had to nail you down and say who Carter Stewart reminds you of right now or, or what path you see him going down, do you have a guy in mind? Um, not
2: really. Again, uh, I mean, I think we got like a, a Rick Porcello on him um, maybe. But, you know, I'd like – it's weird because like Porcello, I don't know if you guys remember. Porcello threw really hard in high school, and then in 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 pro ball, it's almost like they switched him from a four seamer to a two seamer, and like he's never been that guy who's thrown like ninety five, ninety six, and and the velocities are goofy as well because. I think you throw harder as an amateur than you do as a pro whether you're high school or college because you're pitching less frequently and with more rest in between and the high school guys a lot of times you see them in shorter stints on the showcase circuit but I mean I guess Rick Porcello is the one we got on him but I don't I I don't love I don't love comps and I don't love that one
0: (laughs) Can I tell you one that I had just kind of toying around for some reason I can't get the name out of my mind I keep kind of coming back to AJ Burnett as that big tall guy has kind of a little bit of a different motion uh, has the hand of a curveball now i've also heard his changeup is really good it's just a great high school pitcher hardly ever uses his change-up
2: yeah i mean i, I won't touch an aj burnett i just I, i'm just not a huge fan of comps because uh, to me one like you put a comp on a guy sometimes like like not that you throw well i'll give you an example <laughs> lenny torres from new york who was a second round pick and I forget who took him off the top of my head right now. But he's a little guy who throws real hard, and he can really manipulate the ball well. So, like, the obvious comp, and Jonathan Mayo used this on the, I think on the draft pre-show we did, the the Top 100 prospect show. Like, you hear Pedro Martinez. Well, I mean, you can't put, I mean, yeah. you're making, like, physical comp there, but if you tell a fan, oh, Pedro Martinez, Lenny Torres is Pedro Martinez, and it's like, well, it's the thing. Like, I, I'll, I'll tell him myself. I was guilty because I think he's the same style of hitter I think he might be a better defender, and I think he's got the same charisma. But I threw Derek Jeter out there and Dansby Swanson. Well, I mean, it's absurd to, like, like you say it to a fan. I'm like, oh, you're saying the guy's going to have 3,500 hits and, and win all the- his World Series? And, like, no, I'm just kind of making, like, a, a style comp there. But I, I do think the comps were more important back in the day before you had all the video that we have access to and that's all over the Internet where you can see guys. I think the comps were a way, if I'm a scout, I'm painting a picture, and a lot of times it's just like a body comp, but I'm painting a picture to my scouting director who might not see see everybody back in the day when you actually had to travel to see everybody. It wasn't on video. And, and that's what you're trying to do. So I'm just, uh, I, I'm part of the anti-comp brigade. I mean, I think they work well if, if they're natural, but I think, like, <laughs> sometimes we get... Um, uh, I shouldn't say forced is probably a little strong, but but Jonathan may and I get our arms twisted like we'll buy whether it's MLB.com or MLB Network like hey we need comps we need comps we need comps, and it's really hard to force comps. Like I don't think there was a great comp for Casey Mize this year who went one one to the Tigers, but we kept getting asked comps comps comps. So that, 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 that's where our that's where our anti-comp resistance
0: comes from. I can promise I, that'll be the last one I ask you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw the uh saw what you were talking about where, where Mayo compared uh Torres to Pedro and, and I, I like Torres' profile, but when I, I heard that I'm just like Well
2: and Jonathan <laughs> wasn't saying he was gonna be that but like oh, somebody, of course you not. know he, he was put on the spot and he was just saying, look, it's a little guy with a live arm who can really manipulate the ball. So like you know, Pedro Martinez comes to mind. But like it's it's just absurd to like you know, like I said, I'll tell myself, like, like, like I, I think the Jeter Cup to Swanson works, but you say that, and it's like, okay, well, I'm putting Dansby Swanson in the Hall of Fame. It. And it's like, no, I'm not really saying that. I'm just saying, that's what he kind of reminds me of. I'm not saying he's going to become that. And I think, I mean, I know you guys understand it, but I think sometimes the average fan doesn't understand what... what we're trying to do like if we relay a comp and they're like oh that's ridiculous so it, right. it just I, I will say that's one of the good things with the draft being behind me uh that the actual you know, <laughs> you know draft who picks who is that uh I, I i don't have to deal with comps as much as i did before
0: i will tell you this i actually think that that jeter one is actually more than just the the style of the game i actually think that's a fairly decent comp i think if, if jeter didn't play for that yankee squad you just look at the player itself and now he was kind of more of a well-rounded rather than a specialist player. I think that one fit anyway as soon as I heard it the first time. I thought it was a, a good match. But then again, I've never been the type of guy to think that Jeter was the most talented shortstop that ever played the game. Anyway, moving on from that, um, I will ask you, who do you think had the best draft overall?
2: Um, best draft overall? Well, I mean, it, it winds up being kind of a, an easy answer. But I am tasked with. I write. I like writing that story every year. I do the best day two draft and the best best overall draft. You know, they, and like, look, we know almost everybody in the top ten rounds is going to sign. So you kind of base it on that. But the, the, the thing is, I always feel like it's such a, like a almost like a cheesy answer. Is uh, it's the two teams? The two teams that jumped out of me. When I looked at it, were well, the two teams that had three first round picks. So I don't know if that's like a breaking news flash that the the Rays had three first rounders and Matthew Libertor fell in their laps and they got him and then Shane McClanahan fell in their laps and Nick Schnell's a potential five tool outfielder. You know, they got those three guys in the first round and, and they got some other guys too. And then, you know, the same thing with the Royals. I mean, they had three first rounders and they weren't expecting to get Brady Singer or Jackson Coar and then they took Daniel Lynch with their third one. So I, I thought. Those two teams had the best draft. I, I did a top five. I had Diamondbacks, Indians, Athletics, 3-4-5, and they all had extra, at least one extra pick. I gave an honorable mention to the Blue Jays for having the best draft with no extra picks. And, you know, they're big three guys where they got the, the Magnolia Texas high school teammates, Jordan Groshins, third baseman, Adam Kloffenstein, a right-hander, who were already signed, and then Duke Outfielder, Griffin Conine. So I liked I, I liked their draft as well. But I, I always feel like it's such a cop out in a way to pick those teams, but again, I mean, I sit there and I kind of look at each draft and kind of enter them into a spreadsheet and play around with them a little bit, and it's hard not to come to that conclusion, at least as of as of right now. Especially when they both got a guy that, that we had ranked in our top five. You know, the the Rays got Livermore at sixteen, and the and the Royals got Singer at eighteen.
1: When I look at the Blue Jays, I just see a couple of years from now, they're going to be able to field a team that is nothing but a bloodlines team. Between Tonin and Vlad Jr. and Boba Bichette, and they've got Caban Biggio too. You give them another draft or two, they're going to be able to fill up an entire roster with just the Yeah, of former major all those Leaguers. guys
2: can play. You know what I mean? Biggio... You know, it was kind of more – curiosity is probably harsh, but, like, he just had a so-so career at Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, he got lumped in somewhat with, with Guerrero and Biggio because they were all on the same – I mean, Guerrero and Bichette because they were all on the same team. And Biggio has been raking in Double A this year, so uh, kudos to him. I mean, he was he was really highly, highly regarded out of high school, so he's, he's apparently on the upswing again. But, yeah, it's uh, – although, like, what's interesting is it's not just bloodlines. All those guys can really play.
1: They still should have drafted Cody Clemens just to just to keep with the theme.
2: Well, especially if he's going to hit home run every game he plays in, uh, really? apparently for the rest of his life, which is what he seems to be doing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they 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 should have. He would have been a natural. Although the the Tigers beat him too. I I like Cody. I mean, I kind of had him paid, uh I would have said four to six is where I thought he was going to go. Although that's based on our list. I mean, we're going to have unsignable high school guys on our list who are ranked ahead of him, And, and, you know, college guys might be a little bit more signable, uh, you know, in terms of what teams want to pay. But like, you know, the, the Tigers kind of beat them to the punch just by popping them with the first pick on day two.
0: Well, now that the draft is over and you get a chance to breathe for a week or so, uh, it means it'll be time for the revamp of the top 100 and the top 30s for the teams. So first things first, do we get an exclusive here? Can we get a, a little sneak peek, something that uh, might be a little bit of breaking news?
2: I, w- I would be happy to do that, but I would be lying if I told you I've worked on that <laughs> at all. Um, uh, I I have 10 teams, and I'll probably turn my attention to them like, probably after the College World Series. Um, I'll be going out for the championship uh, round of that this year. Um, so I, I, I have nothing for you because I don't think we've – done anything uh but, well i shouldn't speak for Jonathan and mike rosenbaum but i don't think any of us is, has really done I, i'd be surprised if a minute of work had been spent on that we, we do have coming up we have to squeeze this in you know, like we kind of start doing this thing which we internally call market corrections i don't know if we actually put that name on it where like in early may we kind of did some major shifting in the top 100 of guys who had risen or fallen? You know, ten or fifteen spots. It wasn't just hey, we're going to move this guy up, you know, one spot. Like, hey, we're not we're not going to move Mike Soroka ahead of Kyle Wright because they're back to back type of thing. But like major moves, and then added a couple guys and dropped out a couple guys, and well, we do have one of those scheduled for sometime in the middle of June, which I realized today is the middle of June. Um, but no, uh, no, no major revamp news yet because, like I said, we're we're still kind of
1: consumed with the draft. You mentioned Mike Rosenbaum. If I'm not mistaken, his Twitter handle is Golden Sombrero.
2: Yeah, I didn't know if
1: like you guys like
2: have like uh, you guys should have him on. Although I mean, I would think Platinum trumps Golden. So, um, hey, you said yeah. it, man. It's yeah, okay. There it's you an go. Although, although I mean, you could. I'm sure he would tell you that a Golden Sombrero is a better performance than a Platinum Sombrero. So, um, like, I, it would be an interesting debate. But yeah, you guys should have Mike on sometime. And then, you know, Jonathan actually does our Braves list. So I mean. Uh, Any of us at MLD Pipeline would be good guests.
1: Well, after we had you on last time and we talked about who would win in an arm wrestling match, I tried to get Jonathan on to come defend himself, and he and he shut me out. So whoa. I think
2: I said Jonathan would win, though, <laughs> didn't I? I, I want to say that that I, I said Jonathan. Like, I'm a few years older than Jonathan, and uh, and Jonathan's taller, and he would have more leverage. So I, I I don't think I said I would win that. I think I said Jonathan would win. So he he probably knew he didn't need to defend himself. Oh, but now true. that things are slowing down a little bit, I'll bet you know he would be actually a great guest to try to get on after we redo the braves top 30 um, you know right around the trade deadline
0: that'll be good because there are a few there are a few lower braves prospects right now that are knocking on that door of the top 100 i would imagine drew waters comes to mind uh but we'll save that for for when you guys have had a chance to really kind of grill him on that one to get into the movers and shakers i'm gonna ask did you uh did you get a chance to see that performance that soroka put on today
2: Oh, I'm sorry, I missed any of that. So did, did you I get, you get to, a chance get, to see see what? Uh, the ch-
0: the the dominant performance Soroka put on today?
2: Uh, I did not. I, I, I feel like I've had the draft blinders on for a little bit. Like I, it's, I, I love the draft, but I feel like I, I lose like a, a like a week of my life to the draft, and then I come out the other end, and I got all this stuff uh, that I'm supposed to do. But but now that you've mentioned, I'm I'm calling up, uh, I guess on MLB.com. He took a no hitter into the seventh inning. I, yeah, we've talked about him before. I I, I love him as a prospect. Um, he's tremendous, and and I will say this. I mean. I know there's people out there like, oh, high school pitching, it's too risky. That that was a great first-round pick, and, and there's an example why you can't just say, well, we don't want high school pitchers at the top of the draft, because I think Mike Soroka's got a chance to be pretty special. I mean, he always had advanced pitchability for his age, and his stuff just keeps – he's one of those rare guys. It seems like each year his stuff gets a little bit better. I don't know if he just gets a little bit stronger, and his stuff plays up you know, a little bit better every year, but, but that seems to be what's happening with him.
0: I mean, it was, it was more impressive to me to do it going against DeGrom, who – Doc and I were talking before the show might be one of the like most undervalued superstar pitchers in the league. Uh, I was listening to the broadcast, and they they brought up Scherzer when comparing him, and it just seems like such a, a horrible thing to say right off the top of your head. But you take a look at, at what DeGrom has done as far as the, the deeper stats, not necessarily the wins and losses because the Mets are horrible, and it's kind of true. There's not many pitchers out there in the game that you would take in a, in a win-or-go-home situation above DeGrom.
2: No, I think that's true. I think the question is is his health, you know, because he missed some time in 16. Um, but, no, I mean, he's been, you know, very steady, you know, since he kind of broke out, you know, when he came up in 2014 and, and was Rookie of the Year. I mean, he's been – I mean, the only thing that's really slowed him down was when he missed, you know, about eight or ten starts in 2016. thousand sixteen. He's been He's been very, very good.
0: I say that. To ask this, if the Mets continue being horrible, which they will, because their lineup is garbage and nobody there can seem to stay healthy, and they actually do put Degrom on the block, in your opinion, what type of haul would it take to get him for the Braves? Well,
2: you're just asking me to anger Braves fans here because I will always like, like, I will always say hi, and I'll get tweets. I'll be like, hey, like, what if we give up? Uh, I can't like. Not particularly. Well, what if we give up uh, Kyle Muller and Alex Jackson and Travis Demerit for Jake DeGrom? I feel like that would be too much. I mean, I know you guys aren't saying that, but I get those no. tweets from people all the time, and it's like, no. Like, if you're going to get Jake <laughs> DeGrom, you're talking about a guy who isn't even arbitration eligible, I think, until the end of this season. You, you've got him under control for three more years past this one. Um, and as we said, been a great performer, you know, missed a little time in 16, um, and he seems to get better every year. So, I mean, I'll, I'll answer the question from this respect. If I'm the Mets and Alex Antopoulos calls me and says, "What's it going to take?" Okay, look, I know I can't ask Toronto Ronald to Cunha. I understand that, but you know what? I'm going to want Mike Soroka or Kyle Wright to headline that deal, and then I'm probably going to want to take somebody and it'd be more like my choice, <laughs> not necessarily the Braves' choice, but somebody from that Gohara, Anderson, Allard, you know, group, um, and then I'm probably going to want. A position player or two. I might want Christian Um uh, And then I might want to like look a little deeper and maybe not, you know, I might try to go, oh, you know, not that people are taking guys off of ranks. but oh, hey, Drew Waters only ranked 18th. Well, so Drew Waters is the fourth guy. So I'm going to want a lot for Jake DeGrom because he's going to command a lot.
0: I know you just said that kind
2: of... I'll ask you guys a question. So if I'm Sandy Alderson and you guys are are Alex Anthopoulos, and I call up and I'll say, okay, here's what I want. I want... You know what? I'll let you guys keep Mike's throat. I'll say Kyle Wright, uh, Ian Anderson, Christian Pache, and Drew Waters... Eh, you know what? I don't even know if I want if I, if I want a little more. But let's just say I did that. Would you guys give that up for him?
0: Well, ironically enough, while you were trying to be a little, poking a little bit of fun there, that was actually was pretty close to what uh, a few of my other writing buddies and I have, have come up with. I would say yes for the simple fact of as much as I love Kyle Wright and as much as I love the ceiling of Pache, DeGrom is already there and you, right. put, you put DeGrom into the rotation with the new Fulton and with Sean Newcomb and his leaps and bounds and with Mike Soroka, now all of a sudden, instead of having to contend with and hope that you catch Scherzer and these guys on an off day, you've now established yourself as the best rotation, if not, if not in all of major leagues, at least in the National League, and that takes you from being a hopeful contender with all of these young arms into being an actual contender and while what it would, if,
2: what if, afford what it if, now what if what if the cost is what if i say you know what i want soroka ian anderson austin riley and drew waters would you guys uh would you guys do that
0: not without some more filler thrown in there that's okay. one that's one where i say degrom is great but that's at a point where i would say that if you're the braves you tried your best now that's the time to walk away
1: yeah yeah i, I once you get to get to that point uh, I almost kind to have to stand off and just see see who blinks first, but the the original yeah. package that that you had said was the headline by Kyle Wright I mean, you look at guys like Pesce and Waters and what they 're doing right now and how they're really evolving, and it's great, but as the saying goes, prospects are suspects and and like Dylan said the Grom the is here now, so if you're making that that full on push to go for it, you know trades like that are meant to be painful. This is why everybody's kind of kind of bad at fake trades because you want to give up. You know, okay, I'll give you Matt Whistler and <laughs> Lucas Sims, and, right? And Ricardo Sanchez, who who has been hurt since his third start of the season. So, but uh, just watching him today, I'm going. You know, our Braves' offense is really good, and Degrom has kept them in check every every single four time straight four straight year.
0: times. He's played the Braves and gone at least seven innings with one run or less.
2: Yeah, well, he'd be a great guy to get. I mean, it's, it's but like I said, like, when, I, when I spit out that first package, I mean, I think those are kind of like the tiers. But then I was like, you know what? That feels like a little light. So, I mean, I I would probably ask for Soroka coming back as the headliner, and I would probably say, look, I'm giving you like, arguably as good a pitcher as there is in the big leagues. He's under control for three more years, so, you know, it's going to cost you. It'll, it'll be interesting because if they do make the Grom available, uh, I'll be very curious to see what he commands.
0: I just think that at this point for the Braves, this isn't these guys aren't Alex Anthopoulos inherited like there is inherited prospects. He didn't pick these guys. I think that it would be remiss of the Braves not to see what it is. Um but we know you're running yeah. out of time, so I just got to ask you one more thing. With with the Braves in this start, how much do you like this team and what do you actually think their chances are to sustain this and actually be in contention and maybe win this division?
2: Well, I will say, like, I've done Padres <laughs> and White Sox and Braves interviews, and I thought those were the three best farm systems coming in the year. And on each time I've done those interviews coming in the year, I said, a lot of times with these great farm systems, did they contend a lot earlier than expected? And I didn't know which team it would be, but I said, it really won't surprise me if one of these teams contends. Well, <laughs> the Padres are 32 and 37, and the White Sox are 23 and 42, but I do think the Braves are, are legit. You know I mean? I think the key... I mean, I, you, the thing is, you look at them, and yeah, I know Trey Freeman's going off and Marte is going off, but it's not like they have like a whole lineup full of guys who are just playing way over their heads. Um, you know, Ozzy Alves is having a weird year where I would never thought Ozzy Alves would have 16 homers, but I also would have thought he would have had higher than a 300 on base percentage. So, like, I don't think his his overall year is that crazy. Um, but like, you know, I mean, it's not like they're they're the whole team is. is you know the line's playing over their heads. I just think it comes down to the the pitching. You know, if Mike Foltynewicz can keep doing this, and he's been great, and Shanu can keep doing. I mean, like, they look. I mean, you wish they threw a few more strikes, but it's hard to argue with anything else they're doing. Um, if they can keep that up, and you know, they, you know, let's say Gahara gets back to where he was, and you know, they get Soroka back healthy, and he can continue dealing a little bit. You know, like he like he did today. Um, you know, maybe Tehran comes back. I mean, I, I think they've got legit players. I mean. You know the, the bullpen's been—you know—the the one area where I think guys have maybe been, you know, maybe a little bit better than we had any right to expect is the bullpen's been really, really good. But you know, I, I do think this is a legit team. I mean, I would still pick the Nationals to win the division. I don't see any reason why the Braves won't be in the wild card race until at least the bitter end, and, and possibly win the wild card.
0: I like hearing good that. Answer. I don't like that you picked the Nationals to win the division, but I will take what I can get, sir.
2: Well, we'll see who gets Jake
0: DeGrom, so. There you go. <laughs> there we go. All right, Jim, we know you got to go. You're a very busy man at this time. Uh, one more time, thank you so much for coming back on. It's always fun getting to talk to you and pick oh, yeah, your no, brain. It was great
2: talking to you guys, uh, as always, and uh, we'll talk again soon, hopefully. Thanks, Jim.
0: It is always a pleasure having Jim Callis on the show. I enjoyed that immensely. Doc, just kind of recapping what he said there a little bit. Were you kind of – what did you think about what he was talking about with Carter Stewart?
1: I think uh, anywhere we look, we're going to find people giving him rave reviews. You know what I mean? I, I think that uh, the industry consensus kind of is that it was a, a very logical match. And for the development track that the Braves can put him on, I, I think that I think that that's absolutely right. I think that the Braves end up up with, with the right guy.
0: I mean, I, I keep coming back to that, too. It's almost like I kind of wanted to see a position player just to break the mold a little bit. But you, you can't argue with, with somebody the likes of, of, of uh, Carter Stewart there. I mean, that curveball by itself is disgusting. Uh, and, and with 270 pitches, projectable frame, if, if the Braves kind of do with him what they if – if, if he is as polished as most people have said, that might not be a four-year wait for Carter Stewart. That might be another two-year type of wait.
1: Yeah, and and to, to kind of put the expectations on him that he's going to track like Soroka has. Or yeah, I don't like want to do that. Allard has. Well, and that's those are special cases, but you could be right. And especially because this is where I get really intrigued. He's got the 270 pitches. And you mentioned this to Jim, is that he has a really quality changeup too, but he hasn't had to use it. It It's similar to Gahara, where he's got the killer fastball. He's got the 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 killer slider. And his changeup is still a work in progress, but as long as you've got those two pitches working, you don't have to, you don't have to really rely on it as much. So as it starts to grow and become that weapon, you know what I mean? Then then the sky is really the limit for for somebody like that.
0: What I read on Stewart was that his changeup is actually a potential plus offering. He just didn't have to use it in high school, whereas Gohara didn't start throwing a changeup until last season. So like. I don't even compare it to that one. I compare it more just to the fact that his stuff was so overpowering that he just never had to use it. Kind of like Forrest Whitley.
1: Speaking of which, Forrest Whitley is back from his suspension.
0: Yeah, I'll be interested to see how he does now with that suspension over the Astros. have had a couple guys that I want to keep my eye on now. Um, Freud is Nova. Uh, Tools he is can be. Um, he got hit with, a, did he get hit with a 50 or an 80. I think he got hit with a 50 and then oh, uh, David Paulino I think yeah. he should be coming back fairly soon right his 80 games I, should be up pretty soon
1: I think so yeah they had they had kind of a ru- uh, rash of those Yeah
0: those they had three last season Yeah well we'll see I mean it's always it's I always find it and I'm not somebody to get on my soapbox about PEDs and all that I like that's a totally different podcast conversation that we could take an entire show talking about but I am always interested to see how they do when they come back. Like, is the same type of numbers going to be there? Like, it's it's another thing I'm looking at with Michael Chavis, the Red Sox uber prospect who kind of came out of nowhere in the power department last year and then gets hit with an 80 game suspension. So that, that's one of those things you keep your eye on. Travis Demerit, though, I believe he got hit with a PED ban and came back and hit even more home runs than he did while he was quote unquote using.
1: Yeah, that's true. He did. He <laughs> was still still with the Rangers when that happened.
0: It's always, a, it's always an interesting dynamic. And mm-hmm. I didn't get to ask Jim this, so I'm going to ask you. It's 2021. What is the Braves' starting rotation?
1: Hmm. <laughs> just assuming internal, I, I'm not just like projecting free agent signings or anything like that.
0: Right. Just with the prospect, just with, let's just say nothing changes with the names. We're not doing anything else like that. Just with the, with the people that are here right now, what is the 2021 rotation looking like?
1: Uh, I think, and this could be recency bias after what happened today, but I think Mike Soroka is the number one starter. Uh, I think Kyle Wright is in the rotation. I think... You know what? I'm just going to start throwing out, start uh, throwing out randoms because because baseball is weird. You never, you never know. Um, say Tucker Davidson, um, <laughs> you know, Ricardo Sanchez, and Anderson Franco because I swear that dude is like he's going to be in this organization for the rest of his career.
0: I don't feel like you just took that very seriously, sir.
1: <laughs> well, you know, and I'm trying. Like I said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about who realistically because you know ian anderson is still is still a couple years away joey wentz has really struggled bryce wilson came out of nowhere and kind of i don't it's it's okay soroka right tukey nukem Faulty. there you go
0: there we go that sounds a little bit more likely um i'm going to change Ugh. let's see i think i would go with i think you're right soroka would be the number one. Kyle Wright, I think, would slot in. I think it would go Soroka, Newcomb, Wright, Fulty. Then I might be tempted to say Allard.
1: You sure you don't want to put Anderson Franco in that spot?
0: I I think I'll survive without him. (laughs) Now, if I'm talking what's actually going to happen, it's going to be Jacob DeGrom, Mike Soroka, and then blah, blah, blah. Don't care. But... It will be DeGrom. I will speak this into existence. I'm going to LaVar Ball this situation. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> and speaking about DeGrom, I kind of want to expound on that a little bit because I this is going to make a lot of people really angry. and might make you angry. But let's say, for the sake of argument, his second trade, which we all agreed was a little too much to pay, when you have Soroka, Riley, Pache, all in the same deal – well, let's let's kind of tweak that and say it's a package built around Soroka, which would say let's make it Soroka. Oh, uh, I would say Soroka freed. Pache, and Drew Waters
1: see that to me, like the, the Soroka thing, like you bring in DeGrom to supplement guys like Soroka for me. Like, so are
0: you saying no to that one? I mean, I think I think you Soroka,
1: if he rattles off a couple more starts and shows what he showed before the shoulder injury and today when he got back, I think that he's almost in Acuna a and Allbees territory, where it's like, no, these are building blocks. This doesn't, um, you know, you can't you can't get rid of those guys. Like even for somebody like the Grom, especially if it's inter- an interdivision rival. Like, if I see Mike Soroka in a Mets uniform, I might hurl.
0: I just, <laughs> see, I knew I, you were going to say that as soon as I mentioned Soroka's name.
1: And and if you're Sandy Alderson, you know, people people got mad at the Marlins for for asking for Acuna for JT Real Muto. Like, you have of, to ask co- for Soroka. Of course you ask for him, you know, but you know you're not going to get him. So, But the good news is the, the Braves have enough talent to where any package they put together, it's still... It's still somewhat palatable, you know.
0: That's you that's can, my thinking. You, like, I'm not so certain. I would say no. That's not a mark on Soroka. I think he's going to be phenomenal. Jacob Degrom already is phenomenal. That's my that's my whole point. There is, I think, the Braves could do a deal like that and it not totally wreck their plans because they have such a position of strength when you're talking about pitchers now. I'm going to make this easier for you, and I think it's going to completely change everything. Trade Mike Soroka in there in that deal for Sean Newcomb. What do you say then?
1: It's another building block, you know. Because at a certain point, you're just you're just trading. Now, no, by no means do I think that that Newcomb and, and Degrom are equal, but I, I still think that that's because once you get into years of team control, because you still got five years worth of Newcomb. I think that. Um, if the Braves were to acquire Jacob Degrom right now, they would get him through the end of 2020. So That's two and a half years. Um, that's tough. That's a really that's a really tough deal. And if the Mets are seriously going to trade Degrom, which they probably need to because their farm system is very bleak,
0: they should then, trade him because the Mets have spoiled his entire season.
1: Well, and now like they their window is closed. You know, like the the Nats if they re-sign Harper and and they're able to pull off re-signing Murphy, they probably have a couple more years in the tank, but the Braves and the Phillies are going to be dominating this division for the next couple of years. And uh, if you're the Mets, you're almost kind of in a similar situation as the Cincinnati Reds, where you're just looking at your competition going, man, we waited too long. We screwed up. We should have done something better by now. So I don't know. Like you – you almost just kind of look at whichever farm system where you find the most attractive assets and, and just try as hard, hard as you can to just say, these are the guys that we want. But, and this, this is part of, this is my biggest stumbling block for trading with the Mets. You I have to let's
0: face say the that, guy. That,
1: that, well, if, if Max freed is one of the guys in that deal, I like Max freed a lot, but for a guy that's kind of brittle to go to an organization that is historically rough on pitchers, He'll, he'll never make it. You know what I mean? I want Max Free to succeed. I want Bryce Wilson if he's in that deal. I, I want him to succeed. But like their track record with pitchers is
0: atrocious. It's really just not good. See, so. this is where you and I are going to differ because I'm cold-hearted. I don't uh, – once they dealt my boy Angelton, I, I kind of no longer – now Joey Wentz is earning his place there, but I don't really get as attached to people the same way. Now, Acuna and Albies are going to be different. I agree. Soroka is, is an absolute building block. I think he's going to be a top 10 pitcher in baseball, um, especially if he continues growing at the rate that he is. What I will say to this and to anybody listening, and I know some of you are going to get mad, if it's not, if it's not a crazy trade, like if you're not asking me for Albies, if you're not asking me for Acuna, if you're not asking me for Soroka plus Kyle Wright, I don't know how the Braves could say no to that. The Soroka thing maybe, but any other pitcher outside of that, any other pitcher is on the table. Any single other pitcher I will include in that deal. If you get me DeGrom, and if you find a way to do DeGrom, Soroka, Fulty in the same rotation, name me a better name me a better starting 3 in the National League.
1: No, you I think I think you're right. I I really do think you're right. Like that you add Jacob DeGrom in this mix like with this current roster, that takes it from playoff team to like National League favorite maybe. I mean, that's that is crazy legit. I mean, that's it should be legit. it should be the
0: favorite. I mean, look at your own division cuz that's who you're going to compete with for top pitchers. Scherzer, Strasburg, Scherzer's probably DeGrom is a guy that I would literally put up against Scherzer. Now, I might rank Scherzer higher. In fact, I'd probably still rank Scherzer a little bit higher because I think he's the 1B to Kershaw's 1A. I don't even want to call him number two. Uh,
1: I, I, I would actually put Scherzer over Kershaw.
0: I wouldn't because Lefty and Kershaw is one of the most dominant pitchers we've seen since Sandy Koufax. But, yeah, but I Scherzer get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. And there's at least an argument there. like the, the, the Those two are in a class all by themselves. Yeah. But... I would put DeGrom over Madison Bumgarner. Now, maybe not playoff Madison Bumgarner, but if you're talking about consistent start to start to start, Jacob DeGrom. Uh, I would take DeGrom over Thor for the simple fact that DeGrom is a better bet to stay healthy than Thor. Uh, I, I really think that if you add DeGrom to this rotation, and if you lose Pache, that's one of the ones that it would suck really hard to lose Pache, because you see the tools, you see the projection, you see the defense, and you start to see him coming into power now. That would suck. But, you could survive that move. That is going to be the problem for a lot of Braves fans, is... If you're wanting to build a super team, quote-unquote, you're wanting to be an Astros, or you're wanting to be Cleveland, or you're wanting to be some of of these other big, big teams like Chicago the past few years, you're going to see some of these prospects that you're attached to get moved. And it's not just going to be my 20th ranked prospect. You're going to start to see prospects in your top 10 get dealt prospects in your top 15 get dealt. you're gonna have to see a lot of these guys move on that's why you built the farm system the way you did that's why you have seventeen thousand pitchers who profile as a three or better it's it's it sucks because everybody gets attached to a different guy but it's gonna happen no
1: doubt but if i have to endure a mets team that has mike soroka on the mound and christian pache and now jared kelnick in the outfield come And don't don't put that evil on me. Not yet. Like like I said,
0: like I said, I don't think the Braves would give up Soroka in that deal. I would I don't think it would be a hang up the phone. I think it would be talked about. Um But for for the sake of argument, for the Braves, what is the bigger loss? Mike Soroka or Austin Riley? Now Braves? Mike Soroka. No. The Braves and where they think they would be in the window. What is more detrimental? Which is the player more detrimental to the team losing? Well, it's interesting because Soroka is a better player and a better prospect than Austin Riley. I'm not arguing that at all. By the way, before people think I'm on this train to trade Soroka, this is purely hypothetical. This is purely just to show you guys anybody can be on the table when you have to deal from this.
1: Should have let off with that, man. I think I think everybody already stopped listening. <laughs> either
0: everybody, that or they're every, either that or they're getting ready to write really mean tweets to me.
1: Yeah, you know what? There, there's very good business in being the recipient of mean tweets. Uh, ask Josh Brown.
0: <laughs> that is true. I don't want to be Skip Bayless, though, so I had to get yeah. that out of there. But I'll, I'll I'll ask that question to you again. In the long term outlook of the Atlanta Braves, which player hurts more to lose?
1: Um. Maybe Riley because you don't have as many coming behind him to take his place. Bingo. Like, if you lose Mike Soroka, then Kyle Wright could be the guy. If you lose Kyle Wright, then Ian Anderson could be the guy.
0: Or Tukey um, Toussaint or Carter Stewart down the line. Or, right. heck, maybe even Bryce Wilson if he keeps going at the rate he's going. You have if, a, you have options there.
1: Yeah, if you lose Austin Riley, then you're banking on Gene Carlos Intranacion. And, and
0: I love JCE. There's not a bigger JCE fan in this city than me, except for maybe Garov. But that's it. I am. He I fully adore John Carlos Encarnacion. In fact, I've said multiple times. I think I like him more than any other position prospect in the entire Brave system. That projection that he has, that body, that swing, everything about him, his athleticism. I am a huge Encarnacion fan. But. I think it's fair to say that at best, Encarnacion is three years away. At best, I think that's fair.
1: I think that's absolutely fair. And um, so you, you know, you trade Austin Riley to the Mets, and then, then what do you do?
0: Right. That's that's the thing. And, and again, I, I, it would not happen. I don't think Anthopoulos would trade Mike Soroka. I think he would trade. I think he would give up two other a plus arms before trading Soroka like I could see him trading Allard Wright, and Ian Anderson if that's what it took to keep Mike Soroka
1: probably so it's a Canadian connection jose has got to stick together you
0: know (laughs) right but anyway moving off of that because I don't want to turn this into a trade show I want to talk about I want to continue to heap praise on the Braves um and I'll call them out when they do bad things but for right now there's not much I can point to. I mean, Ozzy had a bad road trip. Ozzy was mired in a huge slump, but as I've pointed out on previous shows, the fact that the Braves can do what they're doing this year. And Jim touched on this in, in, in a little bit earlier, they're doing all this without anybody really having like an insane year. Marcakis is having a crazy year for old Marcakis. And it's pretty much par for the course about what his young career was. But I mean, that's, Nick Markakis is probably having the most outlier season of any brave right now. I mean, Camargo is in Hell right now. Dansby's been inconsistent. Ozzie is either going to hit the ball out of the ballpark or do nothing with it because he's not walking right now. Ender's in a huge slump. Freddie's his normal awesome self, but that's Freddie. I mean, the catcher position is still doing good, not quite as good as it was a year ago, but still doing well. Nobody on this team is standing out as some crazy outlier that's going to come crashing back down to earth. That is that is the best news, and it, it sucks to see – you don't want to see somebody you know struggling, but the silver lining in that struggle is that you've got these guys struggling. Acuna's not even with the team yet. He's still hurt, and you're still playing this well.
1: You know, uh, Freddie – even by Freddie's standards, Freddie is having a remarkable, remarkable year. But uh, but I mean he's he's in his prime. This is this is you know he's he's officially entering that Trout and Betts division of don't just say that. absolute don't ever superstars. Say that. He's elite.
0: But, yeah, I mean that. don't ever mention Trout. I'll will take Betts under advisement. Never mention Trout. But
1: you understand what I'm saying? Like if you look at leaderboards, no, top five categories across the game, Freddie's name is right in there with with all those guys and and JD Martinez is, is another one where it's like those four Trout, Betts, Martinez and Freeman are like the four best players in baseball right now. Right. Um but but so this team's really interesting man cuz the the longest winning streak of the entire year has been 5 games and the longest losing streak I think has been 3. So it's not like anything is going really really bad for any considerable stretch of time. But there's also not like any stretch where you can look at and, and say, well, outside of this stretch, the team hasn't been that good. Like you look at the Mets and they suck now. But if you take away the the eleven and one start, they, they suck the whole way year. Worse, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, so it,
0: it, it, it's it's such a fun thing to see because, I mean, we can keep talking about this, but it's really the case. Like this team still can improve. You're in first place right now, and you still have considerable places where you should improve. Not where you should regress, where you should actually get better.
1: And when Acuna gets back, that's going to be... Because Charlie Culverson has done a great job of filling in for him. And, and if you had told anybody in Braves country that he was going to be an admirable replacement for Ronald Acuna, I'm pretty sure you would have been greeted with some, with some nasty looks. And you would have been, done a, you
0: deserved them, too.
1: Sure, but he has done a really good job. But when Acuna gets back... He's got that X factor, you know what I mean? And so you look at Ozzy's struggles, and when they started, they were starting a little bit before Acuna went out, but he has really, really scuffled since Acuna went down. So you get him back in that lineup, and then that you've got your trifecta—you've got your Ozzy, your Acuna, and your Soroka—and those three guys being healthy will just—it is so amazing, like the ripple effect that they have on each other. And Acuna is supposed to be starting his rehab assignment relatively soon, and he—I he, think he might wind up playing with the team in Toronto, uh, which is—I mean, it's next week, so that—that's huge, and that's coming into a stretch where the schedule is about to get real brutal. So they—they they need him. They need him back to keep the momentum right this second. You know, they're playing the Mets. The Padres, you got uh, got the Blue Jays coming up. You got the Orioles after that. So
0: there's some keep- there's some games here to separate yourself. You have to, and this is this sounds crazy, but you do you need to have a you need to basic you need to win the series against these bad teams decisively because you need to build some ground. Because just looking at the schedules for the Braves and the Nationals coming up, it's pretty much a seesaw. When you play bad teams, the Nats will be playing some really good teams, so you need to gain ground there. But then you go and play some really tough teams while the Nats get an easy stretch, and then you got to figure that as they get healthier, because Daniel Murphy still hasn't played this year, Adam Eaton should be coming back at some point this year as well, then all of a sudden the Nats are going to be at full strength and they'll start making their running. I, we were talking about this before we before we went on. It's, it's shaping up to be a seesaw type of year.
1: Oh, well, the, the Braves are lucky enough to get their rough stretch in the middle of the season and have some time to rebound. It's between June 29th and July 20th. you got Cardinals, Yankees, Brewers, Blue Jays, which is not that bad. Uh, then the All-Star break. Then immediately after that, you got the Diamondbacks and the Nats. That's brutal. That has the potential to be a really, really rough patch. But at the same time, the Nationals are not playing up to their potential right now, which is good. And you've also got Strasburg on the DL, uh, Eaton's on the DL, and Murphy. I think he's supposed to be coming back. If he's not back yet, he's supposed to be back really, really soon. But who knows how, exactly how they're going to respond to that. But then you look at August 7th through September 16th for Washington – and that's their brutal stretch, and that's even longer than, than what the Braves have to endure because Washington plays six against Atlanta, seven against the Cubs, seven against the Cardinals, nine against the Phillies, and three against the Brewers. So for for a team that's already kind of underwhelming, that's uh, – what are we looking at? That's 32 games right there against teams that at some point have led their division this season. Starting then, to shape
0: and, up like that final series between the Braves and Nationals could be for the division.
1: Oh, yeah, they're, there's going to be so much at stake. And and even I like how much they're playing the Phillies, too, because division rivalries get a little funky sometimes. And the Phillies are not as good as they were playing
0: for some of the stretch earlier in the season. But they're a but lot they're, better than they're playing that they played in that bad stretch, too. That Phillies yeah, team oh, yeah. is very, very talented. And they're starting and they're, to bring up some of their young guys.
1: And they're pesky. And the Nationals offense has been scuffling. So you put that up against Arrieta, Nola, Pavetta, and Velasquez – That could swing, that could swing a lot. So even if, right after the All Star break, the Braves are, and who knows, they they could traverse this rough patch and really, set themselves up for some for some success there. But let's say that they they stumble a little bit. They're three or four games behind. There's no need to panic because Washington's schedule is going to get way harder for longer than the Braves is. So,
0: and um, it's it's such a hard thing to talk about because. I'm a big proponent of not moving the target. Like when we came into the year, the target was just compete. I mean, I was fairly high on the Braves, and I said 84 wins, and I was one of the highest on the Braves. I was now the way that the season's going. You look at 84 right now, and you're like, man, that's a bad season. I'm thinking 90 wins. You look, you look at that, and you. It's a hard thing to say because the Braves they're such a momentum-driven team. Because they're so young, they seem to feed off whether it's it's a Johan Camargo play last night that double play that seemed to turn the game around, or whether God, it's that was awesome. whether it's an insane Dansby play or an insane Aussie play or Freddie hits a home run. These guys all feed off of each other, which is great. That's why you can you can have games where all of a sudden you're going up against an ace and all of a sudden you drop seven you drop six runs in an inning. I mean it's it's. It's a great thing to see. The problem is when you start getting into patches where the momentum is going against you, like San Diego, where. You're facing pitchers that have no business limiting you to one or two runs, like Clayton Richard. There's no reason in the world Clayton Richard should be holding the Braves to one or two runs. That's the guy that you should be putting up seven or eight runs with this offense on. But when one guy gets into a rut, the next guy tends to. That is my only concern. And momentum is a great thing, especially when you're talking about a team full of young guys. Momentum is huge. But losing momentum is just as huge. I think that is the counterpoint to this season: is you have to be able to manage the downs.
1: I think I think that this team is resilient enough. Like, because so many of these guys weren't there during the losing. You know, you, Soroka and uh, Soroka and Acuna and. Uh, mentor and I I think there might be some other guys who are on this roster now that were on that Rome team that, that won the Sally Championship in twenty sixteen. That was a very special team. Um you know, they're not as used to losing and just falling victim to the negative momentum as it comes. Now it's it's amazing that, that Freddie can even keep a smile on his face for for and Marcakis too for the amount of losing that they've had to endure. Marcakis doesn't have years. a
0: smile on his face ever. Uh, they the Braves account was tweeting. They tweeted
1: like three whole pictures of Marquez with a smile. You know, like that's a lot for them. Those were photoshopped. Those. Well, you know, it's this. There's there's still a very good feeling about this team. So, and this comes back to what I was saying about the the winning streaks and the neither the winning streaks or the losing streaks have been too long. It's good. It, it keeps them centered. They're they're not swinging like this. This massive pendulum, you know, they're able to keep the course. And even if, you know, lose one, pick it right back up the next day. That's it's great to see.
0: And it's not something that Braves fans are used to seeing. I mean, it's been not the last couple years. No, even even at the back end when the Braves were good, it wasn't really it wasn't really this consistent type of thing. They were really, really streaky. You'd win six or seven in a row. Then you would drop five in a row, or you'd go 10 for 13. And then you would drop nine of 12 or something like that. And it, that had to do with the type of lineup they had, where it was very, very home run heavy, very power oriented. So you didn't have a lot of guys who could do different things where Justin Upton was incredibly streaky. Hayward at that time was, was very streaky. Uh, Dan Uggla was garbage. Uh, you had you had players in there that when it went good, it went great. You'd score 13 runs. When it went bad, you'd go an entire series and score two runs. That is what I like about this team is it's a very good blend of power from Freddie. Uh, ozzy has been a revelation, but his swing is oriented towards, towards it. I wish he'd take a few more walks, but if he hits 25 homers and he only has a 307 OBP, I don't really care. I mean, I think that's the one case where I'd say that OBP is not telling the full story there. Um, I mean, you got to figure if Dansby can, can... I think Dansby might be the most inconsistent player. I don't want to say inconsistent, because he's been good. He's been really good this year. Um, I don't want to say inconsistent or streaky. I want to say maybe kind of moody. So, like, not him personally, but his... His level ends up being kind of moody, like when he's going great, like he's doing right now. He's stinging the ball into the right center gap. Uh, he's hitting tons of extra base hits. His defense is on fire right now. He made another crazy play today. Almost made two, um, and he's, he's getting with the bat. He's hitting really well against 95 mile an hour plus, which he was horrible at last year. When it's going good for him, it's going great. But he's he's prone to lulls too. So if he can kind of become more consistent, then. I think that I would pick this offense probably over anybody else in the division. And I know the Nationals have Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon and Daniel Murphy when he comes back and Adam Eaton. I understand that. And Juan Soto. But compare it with the Braves, Ronald Acuna, because you got to figure he'll break out of his struggles. Eventually Ozzy Albies, you got Freeman. Of course you got more who, even if the power starts to kind of go back to the norm, there's he is the steadiest hitter he might be the steadiest hitter in baseball like a slump for mark would be going like over for five he's gonna hit a single in there somewhere uh dansby if he gets consistent camargo you have to figure the babbitt thing is gonna turn around in his favor at some point ender whether he turn he should turn it around but if not then ender might be the only hole in your lineup
1: ender the last couple games he is—he kind of reminded me of 2017 Ender a little bit. Not trying to just immediately jump on the first. Like he's clearly been frustrated for the last couple weeks, and rightfully so. But last night against the Mets, and we're recording this on Wednesday, so we're talking about the the game with the Aussie Grand Slam. Um, Ender hit two soft kind of flares over short,
0: which is not- what he needs to do. That is Ender Enciarte hitting
1: exactly. And you know what? I don't care if he never hits a double again, you know. Because as soon as he got on base, he stole second, and then he stole third. That's like, if that's his game, on top of what else he's able to offer, that's cool with me. That is absolutely fine. That's that's the type of guy you bat ninth. You know, you get him on base in front of Ozzy and in front of Acuna when he when he comes back. So, um, I that could be, that could be a good sign. And talking about Dansby, I think a lot of the struggles, like the inconsistencies, came because um, he was hitting like his hair was on fire when the season first started, and then his wrist started to bother him like right before he went on the DL. And I think he played through that for about two weeks, and that dragged a lot of his numbers down. For me, you're right; his defense has been great, but I actually think he's ever since he came back from, uh, from the DL, I think I feel like he's been pretty good. Not to mention, if you compare this Dansby versus last year,
0: it's night and day, completely
1: different player. The
0: difference with Dansby is that. Instead of going through stretches where he rolls over the ball, he goes through stretches where he'll strike out at like every at bat. That's the only thing. And I'm not saying this to, to bang on Dansby because if you look at the lists of of the offensive lists of shortstops in the National League, Dansby's like second, second, third, second, third, and all that. Like he's he's consistently in the top five in just about every category. The problem the only thing the only thing to to Get is to get him to. I think when he starts, when he has a couple strikeouts in a row, he starts to press a little bit. And he's young. That's what happens when you're young. Ender's been pressing the entire season. Ozzy went through that what like that five for five for forty stretch where he was pressing like crazy. It happens in a young team. The good news is. Everybody else is picking up the slack, and it's not its not killing your team. Like If this were to happen and the Braves found themselves buried because of it, then you'd have a reason to be mad. I actually still point it as a silver lining that you can have somebody that goes through swings like that, or whether it's Ozzy and his horrible, horrible three-, four-week stretch, and it doesn't really affect the club that much. It doesn't affect your place in the standings. Now, some of that has to do with the Nationals being down, but I don't care. That's a them problem. That's not a me problem
1: hey you know what if they're not going to take advantage of the opportunities that they've been given to take this division back from a team that's yeah they you know what cool you had your shot
0: exactly and that's why that's why i'm so bullish on i think the braves can win this division this year it's not too often it's like having it's like having the bases loaded nobody out and you don't cash a run in at that point the momentum of the game swings so much that you pretty much know that something bad is going to happen. It's that same way with the Nationals where you they've probably had four or five different opportunities to take a decent sized lead in this division and they just haven't been able to do it.
1: Yeah, and and to to their credit like like as we pointed out, no Murphy, no Eaton and uh and Stephen Glasberg sucks. But but you know, they they that, I don't know if if I'm sitting in the Washington clubhouse, I, I do kind of have to wonder like, when are we going to get it to that point? And they 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 are a good team. They have really good players, but you know sometimes
0: sometimes the ball just does not bounce your way. Sucks for you. Yes, yeah,
1: so, you know and and who knows who knows what else is going on there. Um, you know everybody's got got a lot on their minds, and I think I think that they know they can they can see the Braves coming out of it. They could see the Phillies coming out of it, and they've got these guys that are signed long-term. I mean, any team that's got Harper and Strasburg and Scherzer and Soto and all these different guys, I mean, obviously an incredibly, incredibly talented team. But uh, as you saw with the 2013 Braves, incredibly talented does not lead to a whole lot more than being just incredibly talented. Right. Sometimes. Sometimes.
0: It's one of the hard knocks of baseball. You can do everything right, and you can still hit the ball right at somebody. Like that, that's why baseball is such a such an intriguing sport because it's not just about being physically better than everybody else, unless you're Mike Trout. Yeah, the, the, you go I mean, through. I mean, you we you and I both, and everybody, every baseball player ever has hit the ball right on the screws, hit it perfectly, and somebody happened to be standing right where the ball gets hit. That happens all the time. Sometimes the breaks just don't go your way. Sometimes you do, and you're Chris Johnson, and you hit 340 for a season. But for the most part, it's the other way around, and that's what teams have to be able to overcome. That and that's one of the things that I think you can talk about the Nationals being more talented than the Braves, and they are when you consider Bryce Harper, Scherzer, Strasburg, Trey Turner, uh, Soto, Eaton, Rendon, Murphy. They're they're in. Can't, can't forget Ryan Zimmerman As much as I don't like his face Can't forget about him They're an incredibly talented unit I don't think that they are mentally tough I don't think they ever have been I think You remember those Red Sox teams The one that got busted drinking uh, Being drunk basically the, Where the bullpen was basically drunk during games mm-hmm. How talented that team actually was And then For some inexplicable reason They would struggle in the playoffs Now they did win a World Series I get that. The Nationals have been talented enough to win one. But after they won that World Series, the Red Sox went through a little bit of a patch where before they got sale, before Mookie Betts exploded onto the scene, before Bogarts came around, they were having some problems in their own division, too, where they had more talent than nearly anybody else, and yet they would go through these stretches where the going would get tough, and all of a sudden... Something would happen, whether the team would get mad at each other or, or what have you, and the team would just underperform. I think this Nationals team is a lot like that. I don't think that they're a very mentally tough team.
1: It uh, it does remain to be seen whether they can pull it together for the rest of the year. But uh, ultimately, like I know that that Braves fans on Twitter love to knock on the oh, the Nationals have never won a playoff series, and you know that that joke is pretty overdone. But this this year, what I want to see is. People not even being able to make that joke because right. ideally I don't want to make, make the playoffs. I, yeah. Well, whether
0: you win that. the playoffs or not, I don't care. I don't want you winning the division this year. Your reign atop The division needs to be done. This, I, this is the Braves division. This needs, that's the Braves have the most talent coming up into the team of, of any farm system there. Now the nationals have some good players. The Phillies have a really good farm system. Um, the Mets and Marlins can just wave by as you blow by them. That's that's fine and dandy. The Marlins will be playing in Montreal soon enough. Um, but you're at that point where with the players the way they are and with the way they feed off each other, I'm going to go ahead and say it. This should be the Braves should win the division this year. Now, it doesn't make it a lost season if they don't. That's the point about moving the target. Even if this falls apart, I will be disappointed. It will not change the fact that it's been a successful season but I will be disappointed
1: at this point. The bar has been set pretty high. I think, I think the record is 39 and 28. If I'm not mistaken, after today's win, which 11 games over 500, I think is the, uh, I think that's the highest that it's been, uh, all season. So, you know, you ride this out for the, for the rest of the year. I mean, 500 ball for the rest of the year gets you to 87 wins, and that's and I I think they're better than a 500 team. So
0: I do too. I, I expect this to be at the very least. I I I mean, if you get some regression, that's the thing. You can have some regression in the second half, and you can still. Hit the the eighty one eighty four mark. I don't think that's the target anymore for this squad. I think the squad now genuinely thinks that we actually have this. Now every team says that they're going to win it. Every team says they believe that they're going to win it. Not all teams really truly believe it. Like the Marlins, no one on that Marlins club actually thinks that they're winning the division. They'll tell everybody, "I think we can compete and win this division." They don't actually think it. This Brave squad right now, they think that they can win the division. They think that they can make a real run in the playoffs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. You can tell by the way that they play that they uh, there's a lot of confidence. You don't have that many come-from-behind victories. You don't have the, those types of um, – you, you can't string together a season like this against those expectations without epic levels of confidence.
0: And it makes for a heck of a ride. It makes for – it makes pretty much every game has been must-see TV. And that that helps when you're in a in a tight stretch like this. The city of Atlanta, everybody likes it. Malina is a bad sports town. Not when the Braves are doing well, it's not. And that kind of goes to show you the Braves are what fuels Atlanta. I don't know why anybody would doubt that because Atlanta is the only team that's actually got us a real championship. Uh, but Whatever. When the Braves go well, the Atlanta fan base goes well. The mood of the city goes great, and when you got all these young guys coming up, and everybody's behind all these young guys, who so you can say definitively that you've got for at least six years, it's gonna be a heck of a ride for everybody else in the NL East.
1: That's right, you guys buckle up because it's gonna—you uh, know, this is this is the new norm. You know, the re- rebuild over, and I've, I've been waiting to say that with confidence for for years. So
0: and we are back, and it's only gonna go up from here that is the most exciting thing this is the jumping off point and I, we keep harping on it we keep saying it and it sound and it's it's still true like we have just scratched the surface of what this team is going to do
1: i love this team the, this particular configuration like even even those 95 the 95 team that won the world series i mean david justice was one of my favorite Braves players ever you know and that team had mcgriff and it had the, the, obviously the 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 panel of, of hall of famers you know what i mean but like this this team it's it's weird um being on this side of it and saying I, I even you know even luke jackson you know what i mean even even these guys that are uh on the fringe of this team it's like i, I just i love them all
0: i mean this might be the most fun braves team to watch ever and that's this year. Next year may be even more fun. That's the thing. Like, there's no ceiling for this team. I cannot wait to see what it brings to us. We are out of time, unfortunately. Uh, Again, thanks to Jim Callis for joining us. Uh, Always great to have somebody as knowledgeable as he is up there. Can't wait to see when he comes out with the next top 100 and when Pipeline gets their their new renovated top 30s. Can't wait to see that, and we'll discuss that on the show as well. Uh, Everybody out there, you know where to go. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher, on Twitter, at TPS underscore podcast. Follow us on Podbean. You can take us on the new Podbean app. CastBox as well. Uh, Facebook if you're into that sort of stuff. You know where to follow us on our Twitter account at Braves Herbert at Dylan X short Doc. It's been fun again, as always highlight of my week
1: Buddy, you know, this is uh, this is the new tradition and uh, I, uh, I enjoy it every time So Braves are here uh, to stay
0: and so is the Platinum Sombrero podcast. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks, everyone <laughs> shiny car. You're facing the wind and your head cuts in. the like kill bizarre. You may find a cushy job and I hope that you go far. If you really want to taste some cool success get it done play guitar. Play guitar!